In this week's market update, are bonds worth a look again? For once, the main focus for investors this week is not shares, but bonds. The benchmark measure of the health of financial markets is invariably the S&P 500, Dow Jones Index, or here, the FTSE 100. Those indices are arguably less important today, however, than what's going on with the yield on US Treasuries. Because the US government is extremely unlikely not to honour its obligations to bondholders, US Treasury bonds are seen as the ultimate safe haven. In the final analysis, the US government can always print more money to pay its debts, so the only risk to an investor in those bonds is that rising inflation will eat into their purchasing power. To compensate them for that risk, investors will demand a higher income from the bonds when it looks like inflation is going to be a problem. For shorter-dated bonds, they will also demand a higher income to compensate for the fact that rising interest rates increase the return on the only asset that's even safer than US government bonds, cash. So, with the Fed starting to tighten interest rates and inflation at a multi-decade high, it's no surprise that the yield on offer from the benchmark 10-year Treasury bond has been rising. What is surprising is the pace at which it's done so. At the start of the pandemic, after the Fed cut interest rates sharply, the yield on the 10-year bond was as low as 0.3%. Today, it stands at 2.5%. That's pretty much the level the Fed considers neutral, where policy is neither stimulative nor restrictive. The bond market is therefore well ahead of the reality of US interest rates, which have only just been lifted off zero. The bond market is telling us that the Fed is going to tighten, and to tighten hard and fast. In fact, the futures markets are now pointing to interest rates rising to just over 3% in the current cycle before easing back to that neutral rate of 2.5% as tighter conditions take effect and the economy slows down. In fact, the talk in the markets is now of a series of half percentage point hikes over the summer as the Fed attempts to get ahead of the curve just as it did in 1994 when it launched a preemptive strike against rising inflation. Then rates did start to come down again in 1995, so this looks like the template that investors are following. But there's a key difference this time around. Then the Fed moved before inflation became a problem. Today it's running hard to catch up. So the risk, which is not yet priced into the market, is that interest rates actually rise a bit faster and further than investors think and then stay higher for a bit longer. It won't definitely happen that way, but if it does, it will be an unexpected negative surprise for the market. Back in 1994, the tightening cycle took investors by surprise and there was an associated shock in the equity market. In fact, the valuation multiple fell by as much as nine points, rather more than it has in the recent correction. The good news is that then, as now, earnings were rising reasonably strongly, so the net effect was that prices fell rather less than valuations. It was a kind of stealth bear market rather than a real one. Now, the interesting follow-up question is whether bond yields have now risen far enough that fixed income is starting, finally, to look like an interesting alternative to shares again. If you know that you'll get your money back, and you can earn 2.5% in the meantime, how does that stack up against an investment in shares which has the potential to lose value and is probably earning you no more or not much more in income terms? 
The conventional wisdom is that bonds should be avoided in an environment of rising interest rates and inflation. And that's probably still true. But at some point, in an uncertain world, investors will decide that the security of bonds and their increasingly attractive income are worth another look. Now, that may be when 10-year bond yields are closer to 3% and inflation is starting to come down again. But by definition, we're closer to the point when bonds look appealing than we were even just a few months ago. Now, another interesting question regarding bond yields is what they might tell us about economic prospects in the months and years ahead. The most important relationship here is between the yields on shorter term bonds and those on longer dated ones. In normal circumstances, investors would expect to earn a higher income on longer dated bonds to compensate them for the inflation risk of holding those bonds over time. However, if the market expects difficult times ahead, perhaps a recession, or at any rate a lower rate of inflation in the years to come, the relationship can change. At extreme moments, the yield on longer dated bonds can actually be lower than for shorter ones. Well, we're very close to that point right now. The yields on short and long bonds are pretty similar. Another way of expressing this is to say that the yield curve is flat. If it goes any further, this yield curve will become downward sloping or inverted. And that has been a predictor of every recession in the post-war era. It's something that investors take very seriously indeed. Now, an argument can be made that things are different today. It's a dangerous thing for investors to say because it's usually too complacent. But it could be argued that in the context of the Fed's decision to first raise interest rates and only then to reduce its stock of longer dated bonds, today's yield curve makes sense. It's complicated and no one really knows what the messages from the bond market are because we're in an uncharted territory. But it's absolutely right that investors are watching bond yields closely now. Of course, inflation remains the key determinant. So last week's unexpectedly high UK inflation print of 6.2% was an unhelpful development. And it was almost certainly not the end point for rising prices in the UK. Expectations are that CPI here could rise as high as 9 or 10% before turning lower again. In the US, as we know, prices are already rising at about 8%. This week's inflation data has a European focus, with numbers out for the big EU economies that will start to reflect the impact of the war in Ukraine. As in the UK and the US, they won't make pretty reading. A key driver, of course, of inflation is the oil price. So comments this week from the United Arab Emirates were interesting. It said that while it would act to meet its OPEC quotas, there's no way that the 10 million barrels a day of Russian crude, about a tenth of global production, can be easily replaced. The oil price has fallen this week, but it still stands at $116 a barrel. That's short of the recent spike to as much as $139, but high by historic standards. Last week's spring statement by the Chancellor of the Exchequer nodded to the impact of higher oil on household budgets in the UK by cutting fuel duty by five pence a litre. However, in the context of the current high oil price, that's likely to make little difference to consumers here. The other big market story this week is China, and specifically the ongoing struggle to implement the country's zero Covid policy. 
This week, it was announced that the country's biggest financial and commercial hub, Shanghai, will move into a two-stage lockdown in order to carry out mass testing. Shanghai will be effectively cut in two, with residents of the Pudong district that includes the city's financial centre told to stay at home first, followed by the rest of the city across the Huanghu River. Residents wishing to leave the city must show a negative COVID test in what is being seen as the biggest test yet of China's bid to eliminate rather than live with the virus. The impact on supply chains and economic activity in China itself remains uncertain. However, the Chinese stock market started the week lower, falling around 2% on Monday morning, as investors weighed up the extent to which China will be able to minimise the impact of lockdowns, as was recently stated by President Xi Jinping. Please be aware the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may not get back what you invest. This information does not constitute investment advice and should not be used as the basis for any investment decision, nor should it be treated as a recommendation for any investment. Investors should also note that the views expressed may longer be current and may have already been acted upon. Reference to specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Fidelity Personal Investing does not give personal recommendations. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to an authorised financial advisor. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. It is meant for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. Issued by Financial Administration Services Limited, authorised and regulated in the UK by the Financial Conduct Authority. Fidelity, Fidelity International, the Fidelity International logo and F symbol are trademarks of FIL Limited.